Welcome to Season 2 of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. This season is dedicated to interviews with mayoral and city council candidates running for the city of Powell River within the Cothed region during the 2022 municipal election. Here's your host, Aaron Reed. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. On this episode, I am featuring Maggie Hathaway. Maggie is one of three candidates running for the mayor for the city of Powell River in the October 15, 2022 municipal election. Here is Maggie's submission. Maggie Hathaway grew up in North Vancouver and moved to Powell River in 1979, 43 years ago. She is almost a local. Maggie worked for the city of Powell River for 14 years, two years in administration and 12 years at the fire department. She then moved on to spend eight years at Legal Aid, where she represented folks with poverty law type issues, residential tenancy, work safe, family law, and even a little criminal stuff. From there, she was employed by our MLA, Nicholas Simons, for 13 years. Many of the same issues she handled at Legal Aid, she dealt with at Nicholas's office. She has been on council for 14 years. Her portfolios have included housing and other social issues, communications and emergency services. She golfs in the summer and curls in the winter. Please join me in welcoming Maggie Hathaway. Welcome to the podcast, Maggie. (laughs) Thank you, Erin. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) I thought we'd start off with if you could just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Okay, I grew up in North Vancouver. Okay. We were pioneers there. I uh, grew up in the Highlands. On my street at that time, there were like five houses. Really? And we were the only house that had a TV. So every Sunday night, all the neighbors came over to watch TV. And um, not very many people had a phone. And it sounds like way back when, but it really wasn't. It was in the mid-50s. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so little kids, uh, then it started to develop. It was just a brand new development in the Highlands in North Vancouver. Wow. So how the heck did you get to Powell River from North Van? Well, it was almost like a dart at a map. Uh, I was living then in Lynn Valley, and I lived in an apartment. And with my daughter, who was then was five, she wanted to ride her bike. We had to go out and get on the elevator and take the bike down. And then mm. Mom had to stand out there and watch her go back and forth, back and forth, then back in. And it was taking everything I earned just to provide daycare and get back and forth to work and food and accommodation so I said to myself there must be a better place than this my parents by that time had retired to Madeira Park but uh, that's a little small I didn't want to be quite that close to my parents so I looked and said hmm I wonder what Powell River's like and so I moved here wow (laughs) I didn't know that and I've been here ever since so when was that 1979 wow I was two (laughs) (laughs) I didn't need to hear that (laughs) So what was your favorite memory as a child? Wow. I think in, I was like 1954 or something, there was a huge snowstorm and power was out. And uh, so it was a real sense of community because like I said, there were very few houses on our street or even in the area. And uh, all the neighbors came to our house. We built, had a big fire in the fireplace. I can remember made soup in a pot over the fire. All the men got sleds and hiked down to Edgemont Village. 
and got groceries and supplies and hauled them because you couldn't drive. There were no snow plows or anything in, for that area. Right. So they hiked down to the village and bought all these supplies. And it just seemed like it was just a whole sense of community with everybody bringing over what they had and us all eating together. And uh, yeah, it was one of my favorite memories of North Vancouver. That's a nice memory. It is. And I can't even imagine that now in North Van. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's hard to imagine here, it right? It is, yes. I remember a snowstorm here once. My mom and stepdad riding a quad, or not a quad, it was three-wheelers back then. Right. Talk at old school. Mm-hmm. Up and down Alberni Street because the snow was so oh, bad. Right, yeah. Then, which we don't get anymore. So here's another kind of curveball question because okay. these are probably not what you were expecting, right? <laughs> I'm expecting anything. I expected to get here much earlier. <laughs> what was the greatest opportunity that you've had so far in your life? Great. Oh, I've had a lot of really good opportunities. I think one of my favorite opportunities has been my experience working for Nicholas Simons because I got to know a lot of people in the legislature staff and um, MLAs as well. And to this day, just coming back from UBC, I'm so many of them still remember me, and it's very heartwarming when I walk down the hall somewhere and he says, Hi, Maggie, and it's John Horgan, oh. <laughs> which is a little shocking. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that to expand my political horizons, that was a great opportunity. To, I was honored to be able to work for Nicholas for 13 years. When did you start working for him? 2005, when it was the NDP sweep, the Orange Crush. Oh, wow. And everyone was brand new, so it was hilarious because, <laughs> you know, I would meet these guys who became ministers of whatever, and there's, oh, my God, Maggie, I was a school teacher yesterday, now I'm an MLA. <laughs> so we all kind of grew up together. So, yeah, yeah that, was, that was a really great opportunity. I totally enjoyed those beginning years of the Orange Crush and the NDP How'd you get into that? Like, what what made that happen? Uh, well, I become a little bit political when I was at Legal Aid because, of course, uh, you're dealing with uh, government bureaucracies all the time. Right. And they were going to shut down our hospital at a point in time. I don't remember the exact dates, but they were going to turn it into basically what I called a first aid center. And so we started some protesting. And we were actually successful. We met with uh, Vancouver Coastal Health, Ministry of Health people, and downtown Powell River. And somehow I became the spokesman. Hmm. So I kind of was, that was my creating a little bit of a political interest because we actually made a difference. Hmm. They didn't close our hospital. So it was pretty amazing and rewarding at that time. And then I had some friends that um, came to me and said, Nicholas was running for the NDP. Are you interested in helping him? And I said, absolutely. And I made a deal with him. If you win, will you make me your constituency assistant? And he said, yes. Actually, it wasn't. It, the firefighters met with Nicholas and told him they should. They he should have me on his team, and that's how we got together. And uh, so I joined him in the campaign, and oh. Literally, we danced in the streets when he won. Oh, we were just on Alberni where Anderson's menswear was right in there. Yeah. And that was our campaign office. And um, <laughs> w- when we won, I was like, oh, my God, we were out screaming. And it was like New Year's Eve. It was so fun. Yeah. And then so him and I both green and opened up an office and sat down. I was like, well, what do we do now? But my legal aid experience came in really, really handy in that position because I already had the knowledge and ability to help people work through mostly poverty law kind of issues. So uh, 
I felt like I could just, because I had been laid off by Gordon Campbell from Legal Aid, and I successfully sued him, I might ask, add for wrongful dismissal. They gave me the skills. I utilized them. (laughs) So, yeah, so I was able to do a lot of that poverty law kind of work out of Nicholas's office. So that was rewarding because I was happy that I could carry on. There was some place for people to go to get help still. Wow. And you never would have guessed at that time that one day you'd be running for mayor. No, right? never. Like, can you imagine back then thinking I, where you're at now? I right? know, I know. So I've spent 14 years on council and some of it simultaneously with working for Nicholas and it was a nice fit. But after 14 years, I decided it's probably time to either kick it up a notch or get out. Fair enough. So that's it. Okay. Because that'll be another question coming up, but... <laughs> Uh, what motivates you to work hard? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I like to take on a project and see it through to fruition, whatever that might look like. And I don't give up. I think that there's solution to almost all problems. It might not be the solution I want at the end of the day, but I don't give up. I'll keep moving with the project until it's completed, whatever that might look like. So uh, that's my motivation to work hard. Okay. And I care about people. You know, when people have an issue and you think, you know, I can help you fix that, I'm just going to do it. Whether I have time or not, I just say, I can do that, so I will. Okay. So running for mayor is a big undertaking. It is. So what the heck made you decide to run for mayor? Oh, well, again, as I had just said, I've been there on council for 14 years. We could have a brand new mayor who, no political background, and I thought, how cranky am I going to be sitting at that table with the leader knowing, not, not knowing the political protocol? I'm, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, I don't know. But after 14 years, I just thought it was time to kick it up or get out. Okay, fair enough. As mayor, it will be your job to bring council all together into one team. How will you do that? Well, I've thought about that a lot too. I bet. <laughs> it's pretty challenging, especially when we could have an all-new council, which that did happen, except for the mayor. When I was first elected to council in 2008, we were all new, so we were kind of an unruly group, but um, we did get pulled together. So, first of all, you need to lay out a protocol, which I'm already thinking about, uh, what my protocol wants to look like, how we behave in council chambers. We have a, a procedure bylaw, which everyone will be given a copy, and these are the procedures. I just have a few changes I'm thinking about for that bylaw and then staff will uh, help us work through strategic planning so it's reviewing everything that the previous council has put into place and what their plan is and what their I always call it the to-do list yeah and because there's a list of things that still need to keep moving forward and through that strategic plan I think that's where you can get the bonding happening that uh, you can form the group into a cohesive group that are working together and understand that when we do decision making and you can argue your point you'll have every opportunity for your input if you get defeated on your opinion and another opinion moves forward then we must move it forward as a team right that uh, you you can't you, we don't want somebody that says well I'm not going to help because I didn't get my point across so that's how it works and for the 14 years I've been on council we've had huge disagreements but they're always politely done well done 
And I've actually had somebody change my mind, been on a, in, had a position, and then somebody makes a great argument and say, you know, you're right, I hadn't thought of that. So it, it's a good process to go through, but I just would never like to see it deteriorate into any kind of confrontation. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, non-confrontational kind of governance is how I like to go. Nice. <laughs> Which local election issues do you feel the most passionate about and why? Wow. I think all the election issues are important. Just let me look at my little list here and see what I have for um, issues. I think uh, we need to be very concerned about uh, the dam that people have talked about, the power and it being sold to the United States. I had the opportunity to meet with some higher-ups with Brooksfield or Evolution uh, when I was at UBCM. And they don't like what they're doing either. They just say right now they're not allowed to sell their power into the hydro grid. So they have no place to sell it because there's no tenant on the mill lands. But they've got staff, so they have to move forward. So they're hoping this will be a temporary measure. And they quite sincerely said they were, if things work out, they're actually hoping to withdraw their application, that they would rather sell it into uh, the mill site to whatever tenant might be there. For them, they're just staying alive. Right. Uh, BC Ferries is a mess. Mm. And uh, the minister has actually uh, suggested that it is a mess. And when we met with the minister, we talked about uh, the black market for reservations on the ferry. Mm. And he goes, the what? Black market. You can buy a BC Ferry reservation on the lower Sunshine Coast. This is just wrong. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be allowed to happen. And he welcomed us after the election to come and sit down with him and talk about how we can find resolution to that. And I'm thinking of things like uh, a Powell River lane at the ferry, just like there's lanes for trucks that get priority loading. Because we can't help it if the ferry here is late and makes us late down there, then your reservation's no good, even if you have one. Yeah. So uh, those things are wrong, and I think we can do it better. And they've made some, done some house cleaning on BC Ferries on the um, on their board. So there are going to be new people in there too. So maybe we can brainstorm some things that will work better for Powell River because right now it's just clearly not working. I haven't gone anywhere this summer because I'm not going to take the ferry. I'm the same way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that's another one. Uh, crime, big issue. Yeah. And um, if we didn't have the support, our supportive housing facility in place, we would have a tent city here, like other communities do that don't have the housing. We're pretty close to having the homeless all housed. The crime aspect, the federal government passed a piece of legislation, Bill C-75, and It's being referred to as the catch-and-release legislation because that's exactly what it is. These people need treatment. They don't need jail. I couldn't agree more, but you forgot the treatment component. So that's a component that's missing. Powell River is getting treatment for um, people that are in the supportive housing or homeless, and there'll be some more beds attached to that, I believe. And we're getting, like, there's a contract for $6 million over the next three years, so $2 million a year to provide for treatment. We also met with uh, Minister Heyman and talked about uh, putting a trades program in the supportive housing so people could come out of the housing with a trade. Or maybe they already had a trade in the past and they need to renew tickets or uh, that kind of thing. So that's something I'm rest- work through restorative justice instead of the regular justice system. 
because that's not working. The police do their job. They arrest them. And that's not a lot of people that are committing these crimes. They arrest them. They take it to Crown, and previously Crown would put it through to lay charges, and the judge would throw them up. And now Crown's fed up, and Crown says, what's the point? So Crown isn't even laying charges. So the system is seriously broken and needs to be fixed. It can't happen from power, ever. I could hope, I'm hopeful. Uh, the northern communities all got together and um, created, uh, they met with the attorney general and others, and I think there was just a report released. There was a couple of professionals, a criminologist, and what was the other person, I don't remember, who did a study on the justice system in BC and just released a report. So I think we're going to see some changes coming sooner rather than later, which is a good thing because it is bad, you know, that yeah. people are afraid and they need to be able to feel safe in their homes. So that's an issue that uh, we're looking at and working with government. Taxes is another issue, always. We need to find um, an industrial tenant for the mill site or several tenants or owners, somebody to create some industry there so that they can um, pay taxes. We get one more year out of Catalyst, and that's guaranteed through our agreement with them. So we're, we will get those, I think it's $3 million or something, in the coming year in 2023. But hopefully we have other industrial programs in place down there so that we can begin collecting taxes right housing one that's one of my favorites that i'm passionate about uh, we had the housing needs assessment done and now we have a housing Im implementation plan and it includes all all kinds of housing not just affordable housing although big component the nonprofits have stepped up big time in providing affordable housing last couple of years we've had an unprecedented amount of affordable housing come online but we need all kinds of housing and one of the things I would like to see we can't expect developers to provide the affordable housing we can give them incentives like uh, density bonusing city land to build on or w whatever kind of incentives we can give them to help provide us with affordable housing but I think the city that's why I'd like to see a city housing authority created mm -hmm. so the housing authority works with nonprofits and developers to find ways to create the needed housing as identified in the needs assessment so I'm anxious to get that all moving forward hopefully mm -hmm. name change yeah I was, uh, am I going too fast for no, you? <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> so name change, I was on the joint working group, and it went very well, and the educational component of name change um, warmed my heart because I heard a lot of times people, I didn't know that, I, and none of us knew. Yeah. That uh, I grew up through residential school era, and I didn't know, and people just didn't. It was kept very, very quiet. We need to get that out there. We need people to hear it, the, the wrongs that were done. Mm -hmm. That's a whole part of the reconciliation process. And um, so I'd like to see, I, I like the little hiatus because things were not going well. It was getting confrontational and that's not how you resolve anything. So once we start moving forward again, I would like to continue with the educational component for quite some time. And I also think it's hard to talk about changing the name of your community when we don't know what we're changing it to. Yeah. So I think we need to work on uh, however that might look. I have no idea, but we need to, if we're going to carry on 
with the name change, we need to look at what might be a reasonable name. I mean, it could be something something as simple as uh, River City. Right. That there's nothing that says it needs to be a Klahoma name. It can be whatever we want it to be. So that's the other thing. But at the end of the day, I'm still a supporter of democratic process, and an opinion poll would be the only way to go. And just because people are confused about opinion poll and referendum, referendum is something that you ha- you do when you want to spend money and you need uh, the taxpayers to agree to it. That's one thing. And this is nothing more than a referendum, but they changed the names for non-binding referendum to opinion poll. Okay. So, yeah, there's some that you must have a, a referendum and you must abide by it, and then there's some you don't, so they're now called opinion poll. So it's nothing really different. They just changed the name. But I think that probably needs to happen at the end of the day. Um in economic development, we need to move forward with um, all the programs that we're currently working on, plus more. I know our current mayor is working very hard to find uh, someone to move on to the mill site and uh, get some industry happening there. We have a whole lot of other um, projects happening. The the marijuana grow up, they, the company, I think it's called Meridian 125, they've just applied for their... Um, to health canada for their permit to operate and they're filling senior positions so that's moving forward if you haven't noticed and i hadn't noticed till somebody pointed it out there's been a new hangar built at the airport Hmm. and that company is 987 asset management limited and he's built this hangar to hope he he wants to attract uh, aviation maintenance Hmm. here so uh, and that's not the end he's not just going to build one he's going to hopefully expand that. So that's um, going on. And Harbor Air, we managed to uh, rebuild the wharf down at Powell Lake. So now we've got regular flights in and out of Vancouver, 35 minutes from downtown to downtown. That's pretty good. It is, yeah. Yeah, So for people that are wanting to work here and they need to go into the office, they can get there as quick from here, a little more costly, but as quick from here as they could from somewhere in the lower mainland. So there's a, a number of things that are still going on um, that I would like to see move forward in economic development, and I think uh, that's about it. Which one of those do you think is your biggest passion? I kind of have a guess, but... <laughs> housing uh, housing for everyone, and yeah, the, the social needs of people. As I, I said, I spent a lot of time at Legal Aid, and... When I was at Legal Aid, one of the things that I did was represent people that were committed to the psych ward under the Mental Health Act. Mm. And part of the, the process was they were allowed a hearing where they could say why they shouldn't be detained against their will, because literally they're detained against their will. Right. And so my job was to represent them. And in order to represent them, I needed to become knowledgeable about the different mental illnesses and and the symptoms and uh, the behaviors. So I studied it a lot, and I became totally intrigued with mental illness, a huge science that's hardly been studied at all. You might have an absolutely normal, everyday teenager going to school, going off to university, and suddenly they get schizophrenia, for example. Right. And so uh, I studied that a lot, and... um, People, some of the people that we need to help with their daily living tasks and be supportive of are people that suffer from mental illness. And people with mental illness often try and self-medicate, so that will involve alcohol and or drugs. So 
it's really a health issue as well. And so I have a keen interest in um, our harm reduction program has been working really well. We have the overdose prevention site, and I know lots of people are kind of opposed to that, but we're stopping people from dying. I mean, people are dying in unheard of numbers, and if it was anything else but drugs, we would all be horrified. And what are we going to do about it? So I think we need to be equally as horrified in this uh, drug issue that the drugs that people are using are poison and they're killing them. And generally, it's young males between like 25 and 50. And oftentimes, they might have a sports or a work injury. And their doctor prescribes some medicine and then says, no, you know, you you can't take it anymore, and they can't handle that, and so they turn to the streets. And so a lot of them aren't your typical vision of a drug addict. It's the young guy that goes to work every day and has a family, and they tend to use alone because they don't want people to know that they're using, and then they die. Yeah, that stigma, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because I... I mean, it's funny, not funny, but uh, the opiate crisis was the pandemic before the COVID pandemic exactly. and didn't exactly. shut the world down like COVID did. So. Exactly. So my next question for you, there has, as in most elections, been a lot of focus put towards seniors and the issues that face that demographic. Our youth, specifically teens and young adults, often feel left out of consideration. So what are your thoughts on the issues facing this age group locally? For the youth, we did have the youth council that Carol Ann and Rod headed up, and they provided a lot of input to council on some of the things. They actually got motions passed and came and uh, gave us their position. And <laughs> Sorry, that would be my ducks in their chorus over there. <laughs> Welcome to Pell River. <laughs> I hope they're not my audience. <laughs> They're cheering. Yay. <laughs> I didn't come across as cheering. <laughs> That's their excited sound. <laughs> and we also we also have a youth community action team. You know, the community action team that meets regularly on the opioid crisis. There's a youth component to that now. So I think it's the first one in the province. So we're pretty proud of that. Yeah. That we have a youth component. So there's all kinds of ways for youth to be involved. And I would hope that uh, on our next council that we have a couple of councillors that are interested in uh, pulling together the the youth council again so that they can provide us input from their point of view. Thank you. So I'm wondering if you can finish the sentence for me. Yike. Powell River is amazing because... Wow. You can afford to live here without a huge wage or income whilst enjoying the outdoors in almost every way possible the exception of skiing i think you can do everything here you can golf you can swim you can boat uh you can pretty much do hiking is amazing so we have all the amenities and it's not quite as costly as living in the lower mainland so i well i came here in 1979 for two years and i'm still here so (laughs) that's amazing fair enough and i got another one just like that Powell River could do better at? We can always do better at everything. Ah. I, I think that there, there's always room for improvement. And sometimes we think on council that we're doing really well. Like, oh, this is going great. And then somebody comes and tells us, oh, I hadn't thought of that. So public input, I encourage the public to come to council and tell us what they're thinking, what they'd like to see, because we do listen to it. And more often than not, we react to it. Right. So here's my last last one for you. Tell me what makes you the choice 
for voters when they tick the box for mayor for the city of Powell River at the election? Experience, 14 years on city council. Also, I belong to, uh, I can probably name eight or nine boards, that uh, same kind of process, how Robert's rules or, or running a meeting, that sort of thing. The mayor is only one vote, has no superiority over the group, just as a member of the group. What you need the skills in is how to pull that group together to become cohesive and work as a team. Excellent. So those are the special skills that I think you need as the leader. But other than that, your input counts no more than anyone else. You have your input, you have your vote, that's it. So it's the leadership skills that are necessary, I think. And meeting with the public and helping people with issues that, um, which is totally my forte. I love that. You've got something out, maybe I can help you solve it. So yeah, those kinds of skills. Was there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think that covers it all. I, I'm thrilled that we have so many people stepping up to the plate. I'm always glad people are wanting to do their civic duty. And so I would like to thank each and every one of the candidates that have put their name forward because I know from experience it's not easy. No, I know as well, and it's not. Yes. So thank you so much, Maggie, for taking the time to come chat with me today. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed featuring Maggie Hathaway. If you're looking for more information on Maggie, you can find her write-ups in the Powell River Peak and Cawthet Living. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thank you for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. For more interviews, visit coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Thanks again for listening.